Chat on This are a series of conversations designed to be thought-provoking, informative, and offer an empowering approach towards well-being for your family. Brought to you by Advanced Health Chiropractic. Well, welcome, Bruce Lipton. It is an absolute honor to have you here chatting with us on our podcast today. I feel quite um, humbled to be in my chair sitting next to you. Katie, you and Ash are just wonderful people in my book because you've touched the people and healed people. I talk about healing, but you guys actually do it. And so uh, uh, I'm very honored to be with you because that's where the healing is coming from. Oh, that's very kind. Thank you. Well, I thought I might just start uh, because we've got a wider audience here today. And I know that um, your fame precedes you and the work (laughs) that you've done um, is, is, you know, staggering. But I thought I'm going to just read and let people know a little bit more about the amazing work Uh. you have done. (laughs) So um, Bruce, PhD, Bruce Lipton, PhD, is an internationally recognized leader bridging the gap between science and spirit, uh, stem cell biologist, best-selling author of The Biology of Belief, and recipient of the 2009 Goy Peace Award. He's been a guest speaker everywhere and anywhere. Um, you actually began your scientific career as a cell biologist, and your original research, I believe, was uh, with muscular dystrophy. Um, Your studies were employing cloned human stem cells, and you were focused on the molecular mechanisms controlling cell behavior. And uh, you and a colleague, uh, Dr. Ed Schultz, um, did some experimental tissue transplantation Uh, which you were able to develop and subsequently has been employed as a novel form of human genetic engineering. So I'm I'm explaining this because you've come such a long way on your journey forward because in 1982, you moved on to examining the principles of quantum physics and how they apply to your understanding of the cells information processing uh, systems. Um, with your studies, breakthrough studies on the cell membrane, you were able to reveal that the outer layer of the membrane of the cell, which is the membra- membrane, is similar to what we would say it works similar to a computer chip. Or really, another way, which is very dear to us chiropractors, is it's similar to how the brain works for our bodies. Um, you went on and did some amazing work at Stanford University School of Medicine between 1987 and 1992 and were able to reveal that the environment which operated via the cell membrane controlled the behavior and the physiology of the cell, which was able to then turn genes either on or off, which was groundbreaking, actually. Um, Your discoveries have, though, uh, run counter to the established scientific view that led uh, that life is controlled by genes. (laughs) And um, it has given rise to today's most important fields, and that is the study of epigenetics. Um, And you've written extensively on that. Uh, It's such a great honor having you here today. 
And we're currently in the same space, which is always exciting, because uh, I'm attending the New Zealand College of Chiropractic Inaugural Philosophy Symposium. Uh, Bruce is one of the esteemed speakers, and uh, after the lunch break is over, he will be speaking with us for the next couple of hours um, about all things epigenetics and how this influences our health and well-being. So thank you for chatting with us. I um, know that you speak a lot about how our emotions and the way in which we then interpret our world actually determines our physiology. I'd love you to tell us a little bit more about what you mean by this. Well, thanks, Katie. That's a, a, a very deep question, which I can try and shortly uh, summarize. Uh, basically, let's go back to the fact that I was cloning stem cells, so we need a definition here. Uh, a human body is made out of 50 trillion cells, uh, and every uh, minute or so, we lose millions of cells dying, just regular, every day. Mm. Blood cells, skin cells, hair cells. Uh, and, and the reality is um, we have in our 50 trillion cells a number of specialized cells called stem cells, which the more accurate term would be embryonic cells. Mm. And these embryonic cells are there because as we lose millions of cells, we have to replace them. Otherwise, it would be a very short lifespan. <laughs> uh, and so that our stem cells, our embryonic cells that uh, replace the cells that are lost every, every minute of our life. So uh, I was taking a, a, a single stem cell, single embryonic cell, put it in a culture dish all by itself. This is called cloning. And the significance is that one cell divides every 10 hours. So first there's one, then there's two, four, eight, 16, doubling, doubling, doubling. A week later, 30,000 cells are in the Petri dish. But the most important fact is they all came from one parent. Mm. So all 30,000 cells are genetically identical. Well, that sets up the experiment because what I did is I took the 30,000 cells, split them in 10,000 cells into each of three dishes. All the dishes had genetically identical cells, but we grow cells in a laboratory in something called culture medium. And this is going to be very important in a second. Uh, culture medium is a fluid environment in which cells live. And we create that in the lab, chemistry-wise. And I created three slightly different versions, chemically, of the culture medium. So in dish one, let's say I, let's call them environment A, B, and C. In dish one, environment A, the cells form muscle. In dish two, with a slightly different culture medium, B, the cells form bone. And in the third Petri dish, again, with slightly different culture medium, uh, environment C. And, they, and the difference is in... First dish, the cells form muscle. The second dish, the cells form bone. And the third dish, the cells form fat cells. Mm. Now, the point is, what controls the fate of the cells? And then you start with the first thing is they were all genetically identical. The only thing that was different was the environment. And all of a sudden, I said, well, wait a minute. I'm teaching in medical school that genes that turn on and off and control life. And then this research revealed, no, the genes were being controlled by the environment in which they live. Now, let's take this from cells in a plastic dish to recognize a simple fact. Uh, a human, as I mentioned, has 50 trillion cells under the skin. So we're a skin-covered Petri dish with 50 trillion cells, and we have the original culture medium because culture medium is derived from blood. So I say, so what does it mean? I say, whether the cell's in a plastic dish or whether the cell's in our skin-covered dish, the fate of the cell is not controlled by the genes, but it's controlled by the chemistry of the culture medium and in the body, blood. So I say, oh, well, then when you change the chemistry of the blood, then you change the genetic activity of the cells. I go, absolutely. 
Now comes two important questions. Well, who controls the chemistry of the blood? The brain is the chemist. But the most important question is, well, what chemistry should the brain be putting into that culture medium? And all of a sudden I say, this is profoundly important because it says, whatever picture you hold in your mind, the brain translates the picture into complementary chemistry. So um, it, let's say you have a picture of love in your mind. I say, well, the brain releases dopamine, pleasure, and oxytocin for bonding and growth hormone. And this is why when people fall in love, they glow and they're so healthy. I say, because the chemistry of the culture medium is enhancing the vitality of the cells. Well, the chemistry that comes out uh, includes all kinds of different chemicals, especially emotional chemicals, anger, fear, happiness, sadness, love, etc. So when we have an emotion, the chemistry uh, of the picture in our mind is released into the culture medium. And that's the chemistry when it goes to the cell, adjusts the genetics and the behavior. So all of a sudden I say, well, then if I'm in love, well, I just said there's one chemistry. But if I, let's say, in fear, I release a different chemistry. I don't release any of the love chemistry. I start releasing uh, chemistry um, like stress hormones and factors that affect the immune system. And what we find out is a very important point about just using love and fear as two extremely opposite points of view. In love, we're in a state of growth, hence growth hormone. And we're open to the world and assimilating, taking things in and becoming, you know, taking the world and becoming part of it. But when you're in protection, that means there's a threat on the outside world. So then you wall yourself off. You don't want to be open. You want to close yourself down. Well, the stress hormones are involved with closing yourself down. Simple point is that's called protection. So growth gives me a chance to enhance my vitality. Protection is like wrapping me up and protecting me from the threat, but it shuts down growth because growth you have to be open for. So I look at it and say, well, goodness, there's, there's two fundamental states. You can be in growth or you can be in protection, but you can't be in both at the same time. Growth being open, protection being closed, clearly can't. So whatever picture you have, whatever emotions you have, you're adjusting your body either to be in growth or you're adjusting your body to be in protection. Now, originally the protection mode was to run away from a saber-toothed tiger. I say, yeah, so what does that mean? I say, well, hey, tiger's chasing you. Let's say you run for 10 minutes, but once you get away from the tiger, there's no more threat. And then you go back into growth again. Mm -hmm. But in today's world, uh, the, the stress is 24, 7, 365. Biology was never designed to be in prolonged protection yeah. because that uh, compromises the vitality of the system. Yeah. And it turns out for the longest time, people said, oh, disease is connected to genes. Well, it turns out less than 1% of disease is connected to genes. I said, then where's this health crisis coming from? And the answer is over 90% of illness is stress. And this shuts down two main things in the body. Uh, and the reason why stress affects us this way is when you're running from a saber-toothed tiger, you want the blood in your arms and legs because the blood is where the energy is. Sure. So if I'm running, uh, I want my blood in my arms and legs so I can use that energy to escape. In a resting situation, not no tiger, the majority of your blood is in your gut, your viscera, because these are the organs that maintain the body, filter, clean, work it up, and, you know, mm -hmm. repair and do all the great stuff to keep us healthy. But 
if I'm going to be running from that tiger, I don't need the body to be in maintenance now. I want the blood from the gut to go into my arms and legs. So I say, ah, first thing stress hormones do is squeeze the blood vessels in the gut shut. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a fluttering when that happens. That's why people, when they get nervous, they feel butterflies in the stomach. I say, that's the squeezing of the blood vessels. And when the blood vessels are squeezed, the blood is pushed to the arms and legs, get us ready to run. So that's number one. Number two is uh, we have two protection systems. The one we're talking about, run away from the tiger, is called the adrenal system, fight or flight. But we have an internal protection system called the immune system, which protects me from a threat on the inside. Now, let's uh, consider a situation here. Uh, Let's say I have a severe bacterial infection. A, A bad case of diarrhea might be showing up and I'm being chased by that tiger, I said, well, how would I split my energy? How much should I fight the bacteria? How much should I use to put the uh, blood in my arms and legs? Well, the answer is very simple. (laughs) If the tiger catches you, the bacteria are no longer your problem at all. (laughs) Uh, And so I say, so what does it mean? I say, "Um, the immune system uses a lot of energy. If you've been sick, you may have not even had the energy to get out of bed. True. So if I have an infection and I am using my energy to fight the infection, but I'm being chased by a tiger, I say, well, the, the infection is a secondary problem now. The primary thing is the tiger. So stress hormones shut off the immune system to conserve energy to run away from the threat. Now, the significance of all this is when it was just a 10-minute run away from a saber-toothed tiger, after that 10 minutes, everything goes back online, we're back into growth, the immune system and everything. But in a chronic situation of stress, uh, then the stress hormones are are not only interfering with the growth and maintenance of the body and shutting it down, but it's also prohibiting the function of the immune system. Stress hormones are so effective at shutting off the immune system that uh, um, uh, if they're going to do an operation and transplant an organ from person A into person B, they don't want the immune system in the recipient to reject that organ. True, yeah. So what they do is they give the recipient stress hormones before the operation. That's how effective it is at shutting down the immune system. It's actually therapeutically used to shut off the immune system. So I go, so, hey, no problem if you get out of that 10-minute run. But if you're in a 24-7, 365, this is why 90% of cardiovascular disease, 90% of cancer, 100% of diabetes type 2, all of that is due to interaction with the environment. And those are stressors uh, coming from the environment that are causing those things. So basically, uh, it it says genes are responsible for less than 1% of disease, Mm. and the stress is over 90%. And the healthcare crisis we're facing today is so much predicated on stress because there's stress everywhere, uh, and we were never designed for chronic stress. So that is the issue of why so many people are finding their health is falling right now. Uh, And I just love to add this because I really think it's so wonderful to know there's not one gene that causes cancer. There's not a gene that causes cancer. If you have this gene, you're going to get cancer. Genes are correlated with cancer, but they themselves don't cause the cancer. Now, this is particularly important for women because they're always looking to see the breast cancer gene, and that it causes such an emotional strife in the body and fear, the fear of, oh my God, I'm going to get cancer. I got the breast cancer gene. That even someone as lovely as Angelina Jolie, who is very young, 
her mother died of breast cancer and her grandmother died of breast cancer. She didn't want to die of breast cancer. She had a double mastectomy at this very young age. It's like, okay, if I cut off the breast, I won't get cancer. What nobody really asked her or told her about was how come 50% of the women that have the breast cancer gene never get the cancer? Mm -hmm. I go, well, wait, that's an important fact. And the fear you go through contemplating stress hormones come yeah. from the fear and yeah. so you're actually you know propelling a cancer with fear but it was no gene that did that the gene only is activated when the stress system gets past a certain level so uh, i really want people to know especially women of course because that's like priority number one breast cancer gene breast cancer i said 50 percent of the women have it never get the cancer mm -hmm. so possession alone Yes. It's not the cause of cancer. No. Okay. I'm loving what you're saying. As chiropractors, uh, we are obsessed with the spine and the nerve system. Yes. And um, as, as you beautifully and eloquently explained, the nerve system, being the brain, the spinal cord, controls everything in the body. And um, in simple terms, uh, we understand that when the nerve system's working unimpeded, it's going to be able to perceive its environment accurately and effectively. That's its job. <laughs> that is its job. And uh, so we help to facilitate that removal of interference, uh, perhaps by adjusting the spine. But what I'm interested in is your thoughts um, on how this relates to epigenetics how how the nervous system and well you've already explained a lot of it but can you expand on that just a little bit further for us okay well the word um, uh, genetics uh, gives a person a, a perception that genes are controlling life this is under genetic control you know therefore genes control this the new science is called epigenetic control and i go it sounds the same but i say that epi is the revolution epi means above so I said, what do we call skin? We call it epidermis. I said, what does it translate? The dermis is just below the layer of skin. And so skin is just above. Epi means above. So I say, this character is under epigenetic control. What I'm saying is this character is under control, epi, above the genes. Now we recognize that it's our consciousness that is translated into chemistry, into the blood, and that consciousness is then translating into the genetic activity of the system. And I say, why is this important? Because everybody out there has been programmed with genes control their life. And I say, well, as far as you know, you didn't pick the genes. You don't like the character. You can't change the genes. And then we also say, well, the genes turn on and off by themselves. We are programming people to be victims. Because you say, oh, your genes aren't under your control. They're doing it all for you by, you know, by themselves. And, and all of a sudden that made us powerless. Why? My genes caused this. Uh, and that was the belief. Yeah. Epigenetics says, no, it's the interpretation of the environment that activates the genes. I go, well, why is that important? Because I said, I can change my perception of the environment. And if I change my perception, I change the chemistry. And therefore, I change the genetic activity based on my perception. And all of a sudden I said, well, then genes aren't controlling themselves. I said, no, your perception is controlling it. Mm -hmm. And that gives you then not the victim modality. Mm -hmm. It tells you you're a master. Yes. Why? Change your perception and you change your mm -hmm. biology. Now, this brings the whole concept of mind-body into it. And I go, you know, it's nearly 100 years now that the placebo effect was identified. And I say, what was that? 
Well, a person has an illness and the doctor says, I have the greatest, newest medicine in this, you know, pill, and this pill is going to heal you. And you were so looking for it. And you say, give me that pill and you take the pill and you get better. But then you find out the pill was a sugar pill. I go, then what the heck healed you? Obviously it wasn't sugar. And the answer was your perception, your belief about the pill. Mm. It was a positive belief. It mm. says, ah, yes, I'm going to heal myself. This is the newest medicine. It's the belief that did the healing, not the sugar pill. Well, that is the consequence of positive thinking. And everybody says, oh, yeah, placebo. And I go, yeah, yeah. But not emphasized is the fact that negative thinking is equally powerful in controlling your life, but in the opposite direction. Well, placebo can heal you of any disease. Negative thinking, called nocebo, can cause you to have any disease. Even the negative thinking can cause you to die just because you believe you're going to die. And I say, well, this is important because, yeah, people talk about positive thinking. It doesn't work for a lot of people, but it, it does work. Uh, there's a whole little story about uh, consciousness and all that gets involved. It does work. Placebo does work. But more importantly, I think people need to know more about negative thinking because that's the majority of the thinking that we have in our world today. It is. We are so very lucky, Bruce, honestly. I hate that we have to wrap this up because you're just about to go on stage. Oh. But um, thank you for this incredible chat and for the incredible work you do and for really helping us to expand ourselves and to be curious about what it is that brings health, joy and happiness. Well, thank, yeah, you, thank, thank you for that. And again, I want to thank you because uh, you and Ash are actually putting your hands on and doing the healing process. I talk about it, but <laughs> it's but you do the, the hard work Aww. and I appreciate it so very much. Thank You're you. Beautiful man. Thank you very much. <laughs>